Are you tired of losing sales? Do you wish you had proven strategies that would help you increase your sales today, not in three months? You could Google it, but Google is in the information business. And I am in the transformation business. Welcome, Welcome. to the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast, where we will share three actionable sales strategies that you can implement in your business today to increase your sales tomorrow. This includes tactics, tips, and techniques from industry experts, influencers, and sales pros to help you shorten your learning curve and increase your bottom line. The more sales strategies we simplify for you, the shorter your sales cycle and the more money in the bank. Now your host, 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 multi-award-winning sales expert and international speaker, Wesleyan Greer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Snack Size Sales Podcast. Today, we have Jeff Edwards from Energy Control Systems. How are you today, Jeff? I'm doing well, Wesleyan. Thank you. And let me tell you a little bit about Jeff. He is the founder of Energy Control Systems, and the company was founded in 1987. So for all you millennials out there, that is about the time you were born. He's been in business since then. Initially, he launched with a single product line of surge and lighting protectors. But since he's evolved into a multi-product entity of various power quality products with an international sales organization that has a distribution network, he is in more than 40 countries. Much of his time is spent traveling in Latin America, Africa, and Asia, speaking and training missions with a whole network. So Jeff, I am curious how you got into what you're doing today and you, unlike so many people out there, are still in business and doing the same thing. Well, it was almost purely by accident. I was involved in the telecommunications field, had a small telephone company. A friend of mine invited me to come listen to a gentleman make a presentation about something electrical. That's all I knew. This fellow kind of stumbled through a presentation back when, uh, if you remember, transparencies and overhead projectors. Mm. Yeah, the Stone Age almost. And uh, <laughs> I remember those. <laughs> at the end of the presentation, I looked at my friend and said, I'm not sure what this is, but I think we can do it. And the next week, yeah. in fact, my father-in-law co-signed a note for me at the bank. And uh, we launched into business, doing something that I really had no clue what they were, but it looked like we could make something happen with it. It was absolutely bizarre. Had no plans to be doing this after the next 33 and a half years. Wow. So when you went to that presentation, was it a presentation like uh, we would think about like a timeshare presentation or multi-level marketing? What was he actually presenting? No, he was actually talking about his product, how he developed it, invented it. Some of the success stories or, you know, that uh, he's had over the past you know, year, year and a half, and then inviting whoever wanted to be involved to, you know, take it a step further and, you know, buy inventory and do training, et cetera. And uh, no hard pressure. It was just uh, like three friends sitting down talking to one another. So again, I, I didn't understand electricity. I don't know a watt from a gnome. I, if you flip a switch, the light comes on and that was it. <laughs> so. Wow. I think that's so amazing because really it was like you listened to somebody present their idea and you said, you know what? That sounds pretty cool. And I think I can do something with that. So let's talk about the evolution of your business over the past 33 years. Well, back in those days, nobody really understood 
or really had a need for surge protectors because there are very few electronics. And so we just focused on the perceived need, which was lightning protection, protecting buildings. But we got involved with a few companies out of Houston, Texas that manufactured machine tools, which were starting to become computer controlled. His parents had some, or he had his parents in Latin America and uh, that had, had some machine shops. And so we just began to be known as the international guys with our factory. So any time anybody contacted them, they would just send them to us. We slowly found ourselves building a clientele network throughout Latin America. And we were kind of uh, ahead of the curve on the internet. And so we started putting up a web page and people started finding us. Wow. And so I thought, okay, this could be something pretty interesting. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, we set up a couple of distributors in Peru and Argentina, started making some trips. We had some issues with our original manufacturer, so we launched into a, a larger company and secured the rights for Latin America. Then they had some challenges, and so now we have our own product. I hired the original distributor to be a sales manager for me in Latin America. And from 2003 to now, we have, like I said, evolved into about 40 countries around the world. Absolutely phenomenal. Wow. And you know, one thing that I like that you said, which a lot of people who are starting sales organizations or they're launching a new product into the market, they think about all the things they can't do, or they think about all of the markets that are already infiltrated. And you said, okay, I'm focusing on this one, right? I'm going to be the big, like I like to say, be the big fish in the small pond. And being that big fish in that small pond really allowed you to evolve the business. So how, what was one of the biggest challenges that you experienced going from just being a U.S.-based company to moving internationally? You know, most people think, well, it has to do with the financing and, and money exchanges, but that's really not it. It is finding the people that you can invest in, that you can trust, because my method of managing is not sitting on somebody's shoulder, making sure they're doing their job. I want to empower mm-hmm. them to go out and do it and then trust that they've got the capabilities of doing it and then coach them along the way. So finding the right people that you can trust and invest into internationally is probably the, the largest challenge because. Mm. So how did you overcome that? Because I mean, people who have teams that are right in the same city as them, <laughs> they have the same problem. And so I can imagine the cultural differences and time zones and all of those things really played a big factor. So what did you do to overcome that? Well, part of who I am as an individual is the most important thing to me is relationships. Mm. And so when we began to build a network, you know, it was about the relationship. One of my early mottos was good business is good, but good business with good friends is better. Mm. And if you know anything about the Latin American culture, they're very relationship oriented. And so with this early group of people, I mean, with my manager, I've been to their baby dedications. I've been to their christenings. I've been to ordinations, mm-hmm. weddings, funerals. And we began to have, began to have uh, an international reunion or convention every year. Started with like 12 or 13 people and evolved into 60 or 80 with people taking their whole families for a week, various places. So it's about the relationship. You know, you build that trust. You know, so many business owners and sales managers, they just think about their salespeople as a number. 
and they don't really think about them as humans, yeah. right? And so, you know, it, we're all humans, even if we like to sell or we like to uh, file papers, we're humans. And really developing that relationship with people, I think, is so integral because then they trust you and they're loyal to you. So the turnover rate that you have really diminishes and then you see your productivity increasing. Yep. You know, some of our, now we have a, a VP of sales for Latin America and four different managers that manage territories, you know, the same in Africa and Asia. And, you know, not because of who I am, but because of what we built, I have WhatsApp groups. They just go crazy, you know, just sharing jokes and memes and technical support. And it's like a giant global family. It's, you know, it just, it makes me so glad that these people have found a product that we sell made in the USA. The other barrier is our product is typically the most expensive in the marketplace. Hmm. But it produces results and these guys around the world can come and say, and Jeff, thanks for bringing this product to me. It changed my life, mm -hmm. changed my family, mm -hmm. but it is, it's about the relationship and that's different, obviously in different parts of the world. And right, so right. you just, you go with it and you figure out how to build that relationships. So let's talk about the, you kind of piqued my interest, the pricing, right? Because so many times it's a pet peeve. Like when you go on the CRM and a salesperson says we lost on price, like, no, you did not prove to the customer the value. Right. So tell me what your sales team is doing to really help them win, even though they have the most expensive product. About uh, seven or eight years ago, I began to see this trend start happening of, you know, losing sales due to high price. And so I instituted what I call for Latin America, Club Cinquenta or Club 50. And so every month I gave the every salesperson opportunity to submit a success story. Hmm. It showed the problem, the application and the solution and the return on investment for which I would pay them 50 bucks. And hmm. so now we probably have 400 case studies from clients like McDonald's to BMW to Chevron to Procter & Gamble who've got the results. And so I can tell you, put this in and you get your money back in six months. You get your money back in one month. How can you argue with that? And it's companies like Coca-Cola, Nestle, Procter & Gamble. And so that's, that's what it is. I paid for the success stories. And it drives my accounting manager crazy when I say, okay, I need $5,500 to take to our meeting to pass out cash. She says, no. Yes. <laughs> wow. I've never, that is a very outside of the box strategy. I've never heard that. And I, I'm assuming that the psychology with the salespeople is I want to have a success story. So I'm going to do whatever I need to do to win a deal this month so I can get my 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. And it's a return for the company because now you have all of these great successes, yep. right? That you can use for marketing or to yep. enhance new customers. We were in a meeting in Brazil last October with a, a bottling company and we were showing them some success stories and the product manager stopped the meeting, started whispering in Portuguese to one of his people. And I said, Attila, what did she say? She said, get with our staff. We're going to start doing these success stories for some of our distributors. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's how you know, right? When you're on the exactly. other side, when a customer, it looks to you to say, oh, I want to do what they're doing because, <laughs> hey, it's working. Yeah. That's how you know that you really, really want. True, true. So one thing that I always like to ask 
sales leaders are a success story of that underdog or somebody who you who came in and they were horrible in sales or they just weren't getting it and you helped them to see the light and they became, you know, a success in, in their eyes. I'll go back to the very first salesman that I hired. Uh, mm. We had gone through the training. We'd come from a background of broadcast commercial sales, selling commercials on radio, television, but he wanted to get out of it. And so we went through the training. He was non-technical. And uh, after two days, he came to me and he says, Jeff, can we go have coffee? Sure. Sent down to McDonald's and said, I can't do this. He said, I can't do it. I was wrong. I can't do it. And we spent the next hour and a half helping him recount what he had done previously that he'd never done before. And me encouraging him in the gift of communication that he had and to see the bright side of things. And he went on to stay with me for 29 years before he uh, retired and passed away. Wow. <laughs> wow. Just have to tell people they can do it. Just give them the positive, yeah. right? Yeah. Give them the positive. And you know, one thing that I am so adamant about is we can teach the product, right? You can teach somebody the product because that's what you're excellent at, but those strong sales skills, that's what we need to look for when we're hiring people in a highly technical field. Yeah. And I commend you for seeing that in him and seeing beyond what he could see in himself. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. 29 years. That is, that, that is a great ride. Again, yep. people don't stay at companies that long these days. That's true. We have very, very little turnover. I'm, I'm really proud of that with our local staff here. You know, we used to tell people you don't get away from ECS unless you die. Uh, <laughs> We've had several employees who worked with us until they passed away, but uh, that says something about the culture we've built. And you know, people toss around company culture all the time, but uh, you know, until you see longevity in personnel, do you really have a, a company culture that people want to stay with and be engaged with and be empowered to do what they're called to do? So anyway, I'm mm. I'm real fortunate and blessed. Yes, and I think that it is a testament to your leadership, uh, to how involved you are in the company. You are not just sitting on your high horse and delegating to others. You are really in the trenches with your people, and I commend you for being such a good leader. Thank you very much. You know, I get asked because I, pre-COVID, I was on the road 150, 160 days a year, and uh, mm. I'd get asked, you know, what do you do this for? You could just sit at home in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm not going to know what's going on in the world. I'm not going to know what you need as a as a distributor or as a customer unless I'm in the field. And they just shake mm -hmm. their head, you know. They said, "Are you happily married?" I said, "For 40 years. This coming this November." Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Thank you very much. It's important That's to be awesome. out in the field, you know. Absolutely. As a sales manager, if you are not in the trenches with your people, then you're not. You're doing a disservice. And I think a lot of times people misunderstand micromanaging and really being walking alongside is very different than micromanaging and that'll take us down a whole different path <laughs> but you know traveling with people and coaching them in the moment and then you still have that balance of you said you've been married for 40 years right so having a spouse that understands i'm living in my passion and i'm doing this to help other people have a, a better life i think those are two wonderful things that you have done thank you thank you very much so do you have a, a free gift to share with our audience? Yes. Since the world is all involved in my, into computers and microprocessors, everything's controlled by a chip. So many facility managers and data processing managers don't think about being proactive. We've got a little, little uh, pamphlet we wrote about proactive maintenance, you know, preventive rather than reactive. 
you know, no sense in being reactive when things are going wrong, because once that happens, it's, there's chaos abounding. So we just wrote a little book and they can download it from our website and uh, give them some tips on how to be uh, proactive instead of reactive when they're managing their, their electronic technology. Awesome. And we will have the link to that in the show notes. So again, being proactive is much better than being reactive, no matter what it is, whether it's in leadership, it's in your uh, maintenance of your facility. So that is an awesome, awesome thing. And if people are interested in getting in contact with you, what's the best way? Well, you can uh, obviously find me on LinkedIn. You can check out our, our website at uh, ecsintl.com. And somebody's always working in our world. So, uh, if you text or WhatsApp, then more than likely I'll be awake and working somewhere in the world. So yeah, reach out. <laughs> take care of you. I love it. I love it. So check Jeff and his company out on his website or shoot him a LinkedIn message and make sure it's a custom LinkedIn message saying that you heard him on the Snack Size Sales podcast. So he doesn't say, stop trying to sell me something. Leave me alone. Right. <laughs> Because we get so many of those messages these days. Jeff, I thank you so much for helping us understand and talking about your leadership style and how you have built this company that has been around. I mean, in 33 years, we've had pandemics, we've had recessions, we've had depressions, we've had economic crisis, and you're still standing with a profitable organization. So thank you so much for sharing with our audience. Thank you, Wesley. Have a great day. You too. And that is another episode of the Snack Size Sales Podcast. Please remember to share this episode, like it, and leave us a review. If there's anything that we can do for you, we're always here to help. And remember, every day, transform your sales. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.